Primary Care Knowledge Boost Podcast for Heart Failure. Hello and welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. I'm Dr Lisa Adams. And I'm Dr Sarah McDermott. Today we're going to be talking to consultant cardiologist Dr Aria about heart failure. But first, for any of you that listened to our IBS podcast before the amended version, there was a part of the discussion where we asked Dr Bliss about when to do a CA125 blood test that helps us look for ovarian cancers for women presenting with IBS type symptoms. Um, He advised that if there are concerns about ovarian cancer, an ultrasound scan would be best. Um, A few listeners got in touch with questions. Um, So we've added some more information to the episode, um, which is that NICE guidelines for ovarian cancer currently state that women over 50 presenting with vague abdominal symptoms, including those also found in IBS, such as bloating, constipation, diarrhea, or other symptoms that are less relevant um, to the IBS podcast, such as loss of appetite, early satiety, as in a feeling of feeling full, urinary frequency or urgency, if those symptoms are happening frequently or persistently, as in over a month, and the woman has a normal abdominal examination, then a CA125 can be offered. Yeah, and Dr. Bliss is absolutely right though. If there is concerns, an ultrasound scan of the ovaries is useful because CA125 is not always raised in ovarian cancer. Um, in up to a third of early ovarian cancers, it can actually be normal. Oh gosh, yeah, that's really good to know, isn't it, Sarah? Yeah. So back to today's episode. Um, so we've got Dr. Aria here with us today to talk about um, breathlessness and heart failure. Um, thanks very much for coming and giving up your time um, to talk to us. Yeah, it's you. a pleasure. Thank you. Um, do you want to just introduce yourself for our listeners? Yeah. Um, my name is uh, Dr. Sanjay Aria. I'm a consultant cardiologist. I've been working at Wigan Hospital for the last 18 years. Amazing. And uh, I'm also the medical director for the Trust. Just to start with, can you give us a bit of a brief overview of what a typical patient with heart failure might present like? These are patients who present with very vague symptoms, could be just tiredness, could be breathlessness, which they will tell you it's my age and that's why I get a bit breathless. Yeah. Swelling of the ankles and feet, as we all know, when we all age, we don't walk around as much as we do and then you have dependent edema. So if you look at these symptoms, breathlessness, tiredness, dependent pedal edema, are very vague symptoms, aren't they? Yeah. And you need to have this in, in mind when patients present you with these symptoms at the back of your mind that could this be heart failure? Yeah. And that's how you then go on to do necessary investigations to confirm your diagnosis. Hmm. There are no specific signs and symptoms of heart failure. And therefore, it's a very difficult diagnosis to make, especially in the community. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. That's why it's a tricky one for us sometimes. Yeah. And you mentioned first-line investigations. Um, can you walk us through what they'd be? Yeah, so if you if you have patients presenting with these symptoms, and as I said, keep heart failure at the back of your mind, Yeah. there are two tests I would recommend. We have availability of ECG. If ECG is plumb normal, heart failure is unlikely. So that's a very important tool of screening patients who present to you with these symptoms. If ECG is normal, heart failure is extremely unlikely. Mm. The second test called N-terminal pro-BNP, it is a blood test which excludes heart failure. So if you have a patient who presents with breathlessness or tiredness or pedal edema and their N-terminal pro-BNP that's what we use in Wigan, Mm -hmm. is less than 400 or is negative, you can safely exclude heart failure. 
Okay. So these are two important tools which you can use in diagnosing heart failure. Mm-hmm. I may add one more, Lisa. Another test which is very easily available is a chest x-ray. And if you organize a chest x-ray and a chest x-ray shows that the heart is of normal size and there's no pulmonary congestion. Therefore, if you add ECG, chest x-ray and N-terminal Pro BNP, three tests which are easily available, yep. readily available. And if they're negative, then your patient's symptoms are probably due to something else apart from heart failure. That's really good to know. Um, we did have a question about BNP that in our labs, um, when we get results back, as long as they're under 400, they class it as normal. Um, we checked the NICE guidelines and it said if it's between 100 and 400, then you could continue to check an echo and make sure it's definitely not heart failure. Yeah. Is that something that you'd recommend or are you happy that in Wigan, if it's if you're getting a result where your BMP is under 400? Yeah, that's a very good question yeah. because there are two assays which measure brain nitroureutic peptide. One is BNP itself and the other one is N-terminal pro-BNP. The ones which we use in Wigan is N-terminal pro-BNP where the Mm -hmm. cutoff is different to a BNP cutoff. So be careful. Depends on where you work and what assay they are measuring. If they are measuring N-terminal pro-BNP which is in Wigan, the cutoff is 400. Ah, brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, in the, the NICE guidelines, again, it mentions if someone's had um, a previous MI um, and they're presenting with some symptoms looking like heart failure, we should just go straight to echo. Is that something that you would recommend? Uh, uh, yes, I do. Uh, and the reason, the rationale for that, one, Lisa, is that the commonest cause for heart failure is myocardial infarction. Right. That's the commonest cause. And therefore, Testing for BNP in these patients who have had a heart attack in the past and they're now breathless is wasting a resource. It's, ah. it's an expensive test, let me tell you. Last I heard, it costs about between 13 to 15 pounds. Mm. So you need to use that judiciously. And therefore, patients with heart attack, breathlessness, go for an echo. Yeah. And that's the best way to do. Those who have not had a heart attack, in those patients, N-terminal pro-BNP is very useful. And one of the things which NICE will tell you that if you have an N-terminal pro-BNP of more than 2,000, mm. if you let us know, the hospital know, we will do the echocardiogram within two weeks nice. because these are patients we are very high risk. Okay. If you have the readings between 400 to 2,000, then they are lesser risk and our target to get the echo done is up to six weeks. Right. So, But if it is very high, it should be done within a couple of weeks. Um, and people who have got those very high readings that need to be seen quickly, should we be requesting the echo and referring at the same time? So when you send a patient whose BNP is very high and we find that they have had an echo and their echo shows significant abnormality, they are escalated internally within our hospital. Right. So whoever is the cardiologist on call that week, that day, mm-hmm. he will be asked to see that echo straight away. Ah, okay. So we save you from unnecessarily doing another referral. Okay, good. And, and also... That way the patient gets a prompt care. Yeah. yeah. So, but if we have failed by for some reason, yes, please do let us know. We have a cardiologist on call 24-7-365. Just ring us and we will see the patient very quickly. Okay, brilliant. That's good to know that we can do that. You mentioned that one of the main causes of heart failure was myocardial infarctions. What are the other common causes? Yeah, uh, it all depends on the age group. So if you have a patient who's young, who's in his 30s, 40s, and sometimes even 20s, they have come to you with signs, symptoms of heart failure. 
and you've done an ECG, you've done BNP, and you've done a chest X, and they all suggest heart failure. Yeah. In those group group of patients, it's not coronary disease, is it? It's the, in those patients, it's generally cardiomyopathy, right. either viral cardiomyopathy, familial cardiomyopathy. Substance misuse is another very mm, common, yeah, which yeah. sadly in in vegan area. So these are the common causes for younger age group. Mm-hmm. For older age group, anybody who's over forty years of age, and I've taken forty as an arbitrary line, yeah, because I I don't see many heart attacks under the age of forty. Mm-hmm. So if anybody who's got heart failure over forty years of age, number one, number two, number three cause coronary artery disease. Yeah, they can also have viral cardiomyopathy, but coronary artery disease must be excluded first. Yeah. Um, and just um, going back, we forgot to ask when we were on the BNP side of things, is there anything else that can increase the BNP apart from heart failure? Like troponin, like CRP, like D-dimer, like ESR. There are many other causes of elevated BNP. Yeah. And one common cause for elevated BNP is atrial fibrillation. Right. right. So do remember, if a patient has got atrial fibrillation and is breathless, perhaps another group of patient, you may not wish to do BNP. Yep. Just think of an echo straight away. So that's another important cause. BNP is a marker for a stretch of the ventricles. Hmm. So anything which stretches the ventricles will cause that. But atrial fibrillation is a very common cause. That's a big common one. That's good to yeah. know. Yeah. And of the people referred into clinics with potential heart failure, are there many that you see where it's actually a misdiagnosis and it's actually something else? Or is it generally once once they've come to clinic, it's pretty straightforward? As I said, this is one diagnosis which is so difficult to make, Yeah. right? Because there are no symptoms or there are no signs which have 100% sensitivity or specificity. Yeah. So you're yeah. relying on the investigations. And uh, I have seen, sadly, and I can understand the reasons there are so much pressures within the primary care. Patients have been referred to our clinics without having these tests done. Mm -hmm. And patients also being treated without having these tests done. You see, if you're working in Wigan, COPD is a very common diagnosis. Heart failure is a very common diagnosis. And smoking history is a common link for both. Yeah. So a lot of patients who I get see referred to actually have COPD. And my chest physician colleagues will also tell you a lot of patients they are referred to as COPD have actually got heart failure. Oh, right, okay. We were just going to ask you as well, what are your differentials for someone with a heart failure type symptoms? You've mentioned COPD and you've mentioned that they're really vague, but what are your top kind of differentials there? Obesity is a very common cause. And if you look at textbooks, it talks about obesity very lower down as a cause for breathlessness. Sadly, in Wigan, that is uh, an important cause. Yeah. A cause which people sadly don't accept. And we've done all the tests on these patients and spirometry and BNP and echo. And they don't have any of those problems. And it is actually the weight yeah. which is causing. So obesity is an important cause. Mm-hmm. COPD, we've touched upon COPD, asthma, etc. are common causes. Anemia. Yes. You'll be so surprised. Yeah. Patients may not, if they have developed that chronic anemia for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that anemia with hemoglobin less than nine causes breathlessness. So be very, mm-hmm. very wary that if you have somebody's got 10, 11, mm-hmm. I don't think that causes breathlessness. Only under nine that that causes breathlessness. Mm-hmm. We all know about acute causes like pulmonary embolism, pulmonary fibrosis, right? Mm-hmm. Occupational lung disease, pneumoconiosis. Wigan had 
mining industry, cotton industry. So if somebody's worked in cotton industry, so these are important causes. The two or three would be, one is heart failure for breathlessness and number two is COPD. And third, reluctantly, I'll have to say obesity. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so if we've got somebody who um, is fitting the diagnosis of heart failure, can you talk us through the initial management of a new diagnosis? Yeah, I teach my students, there are four drugs which improve symptoms mm-hmm. and there are four drugs which improve prognosis. Okay. Sadly, people concentrate on drugs which improve symptoms, but that's important for the patient, isn't it? The patient wants to feel better. Yeah. So that's important, but please, please, please do not stop there because you need to give them the other drugs which improve prognosis because if you do not improve prognosis, their symptoms will come back Yeah. because the disease will continue to progress. So the four drugs which improve symptoms, and I'm not saying each heart failure patient should have eight drugs, absolutely not, but there are some important medications. So the four drugs which improve symptoms are diuretics. Mm -hmm. That's very, very important. Second is digoxin. So you've given everything and they're still symptomatic. And the third and fourth drugs are hydrolazine and nitrates. They improve symptoms. However, if you have a patient who's Afro-Caribbean ethnic origin, then nitrates and hydrolazine improve prognosis in them because they don't respond to ACE inhibitors as well. Ah, So four drugs which improve symptoms we've talked about. Diuretics, digoxin, nitrates, hydrolazine. But equally important are the four drugs which improve prognosis, which will make them live longer. ACE inhibitor, beta blocker, angiotensin receptor blockers, and spironolactone. So you can't give all those medications on day one. So my suggestion to you would be if you're suspecting heart failure because you got those patients presenting with those symptoms and you've done N-terminal pro-BNP and done an ECG and a chest x-ray, mm-hmm. do refer those patients for an echocardiogram to confirm your diagnosis. Yeah. But start them on diuretics because they want to feel better. Yes. But please, please, please also start them on ACE inhibitors, a small dose. Mm-hmm. And I, my choice is Ramipril 1.25 BD and beta blockers, and my choice is bisorperol 1.25 BD. Okay. Do start these three drugs on those patients and then refer for echo. You can always stop them if the echo comes back as it does. It is not heart failure. It doesn't do any harm to them. But get it started as soon as possible. Absolutely. We often find when people are referred to cardiology with their heart failure and they've been on frismide, often they'll come back sometimes on bumetanide. Is that appropriate for GPs to potentially switch from frismide to bumetanide? There is no harm if somebody is still getting breathless and still got pedal edema, change from one to the other. And see if it works, it works. Okay, Okay. fantastic. But for your purposes, choose one. And if that one doesn't make them wee as much as you want them to, Mm -hmm. switch to the other one. And when we've started our diuretics as well as our um, actual prognosis changing medications. Exactly, yeah. Um, when we're monitoring our patients clinically, we can go off their symptoms in terms of their improvement. Mm. Um, is there any role for BNP in terms of rechecking and seeing if that's down? Is that a good sign? Or BNP is used to exclude heart failure. So if your BNP is negative, you can say it's unlikely heart failure. Mm-hmm. However, BNP has now been increasingly used as a prognostic marker. Yeah. So I use it a lot. I run a specialist heart failure clinic at Pratbridge in the community. And if I have a patient who is on optimal treatment and he's still breathless, Mm, either my diagnosis is wrong Mm. or this is bad news for the patient. Because then you check the BNP and if the BNP is very high, 
despite yeah. all the treatment means that this guy is not going to get better and therefore you should now start thinking of are there other modalities of treatment mm-hmm. so you then start thinking about devices you know okay. by ventricular pacemaker yes if somebody is young think of a transplant i've got few patients yeah. who are now on have had transplant and some are on waiting list for transplant mm-hmm. so it's a diagnostic tool as well as a prognostic tool okay brilliant and just thinking about um kind of the more acute setting um if we have someone who has already got a diagnosis of heart failure or um someone who's potentially presenting for the first time is there anything that would worry you in that first consultation that would make you think this person needs to be admitted hospital is the worst place to be in is the best place to come in if you are very very sick hospital is not the right place to come in if you got long term conditions with exacerbation unless you are very ill mm-hmm. heart failure should be managed in the community heart failure can easily be managed as a ambulatory condition mm-hmm. and heart failure should be managed in outpatient clinics yeah if you have a patient who is complaining of paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea pnd mm-hmm. and what is pnd as soon as they lay flat and when i'm talking about flat not completely flat three four pillows mm. and they are waking up at night and opening the doors and windows or going running out and believe me it is as dramatic as this mm. as if they're going to die if they don't get the air outside yeah those are patients you need to treat in hospital right okay and obviously those who are acutely breath pink frothy sputum now those are extremist patients vast majority of the patients just increase the diuretics get in touch with us and we'll help you fantastic um if someone comes in who's known to have mild left ventricular dysfunction um and they've developed new breathlessness and leg swelling um how do you generally approach these patients do they need another bmp i know we've talked about that role there um should we be reechoing ever in general practice um or should we refer what, mm. what's your take on it and and this is a real life situation Sarah what i've tried to so far avoid talking to you about is patients with mild lv systolic dysfunction yeah, but they're yeah. clearly breathless and you've done all of the tests and they haven't got obesity they haven't got copd asthma occupational lung disease yeah and in these group of patients if their bnp is high mm-hmm. their ecg is abnormal remember i told you if the ecg is normal it's unlikely to be heart failure yeah and their chest x-ray may not show big heart but shows pulmonary congestion Mm-hmm. these are patients who we recall as heart failure with preserved ejection fraction right, right. yeah okay a very difficult diagnosis yeah right so you do an echocardiogram and the echo shows only the good lv function or minimally depressed lv function or mild lv dysfunction but they are clearly very breathless yeah and they will have swollen ankles and feet they will be breathless but in these patients you should look for their ecg is it abnormal yeah look for the chest x-ray does their pulmonary congestion and you should also check their bnp okay and exclude other causes exclude the other things and yeah. these are patients but these are patients in whom sadly diuretics work in these patients but mm-hmm. sadly beta blockers ace inhibitors are not that useful yeah. there's no evidence to show that they work but these are patients who will tell you who they are they are usually female mm-hmm. they're usually elderly and they're usually those who have hypertension diabetes right, yeah. controlling the hypertension and diabetes is very important for them so diuretics and control their hypertension control their diabetes and look for underlying coronary artery disease because yeah. they are elderly and if treating those will make them feel better okay so they are called heart failure 
with preserved ejection fraction. Yeah. Um, if we just talk a little bit maybe about um, echoes briefly um, when we're mentioning about that, is there any evidence for repeating echoes um, in people who've got heart failure or mild? Should we be monitoring yeah. them? Yeah. So I didn't ask, answer that question of yours. Is that somebody who's had, say, mild LV systolic dysfunction, say, two years or three years ago, mm-hmm. and they're now becoming more breathless. I think check the BNP, because if the BNP is normal, then it's unlikely to be that. And then, yes, do repeat the echocardiogram. And if someone, say, um, it comes back as a mild LV dysfunction and we find uh, another reason for their breathlessness, would you recommend repeating that echo as a monitoring um, thing? No, or in no, that case, no, you don't, need to, you don't need to repeat the echocardiogram. What's the normal progression for most heart failure, or is there such a thing? Yeah. Again, a lovely question. Sadly, despite all drugs we have in our armamentarium, prognosis for heart failure remains bad. It's, it's, a, it's a serious condition. These drugs have certainly revolutionized the treatment. And uh, if these patients are on optimal, maximal tolerated dose, try to increase the dose, yeah. right? Because what happens is we leave them a teeny-weeny dose of beta blocker ACE inhibitors. The more you give these medications, the better the prognosis. Okay. There are some group of patients, as I said to you, despite all you do, they will continue to worsen. Mm. Yeah. And BNP will tell you. Mm. Okay? Very important, do an ECG yearly. Why am I suggesting you should do an yearly? Because if they have developed wide QRS complexes, Yeah which about a quarter to third of patients develop. Mm -hmm. If they develop that, there is a device therapy called, have we discussed, biventricular pacemaker. Yes. Yes. These patients can then have biventricular pacemaker Mm -hmm. and these patients can then get better. Okay. Okay. Right? So keep keep an eye for QRS complex. If it is more than 140 milliseconds, 140, Mm -hmm. and they're still breathless, refer them to us because we can put in a biventricular pacemaker and make them feel better. Mm-hmm. It, it saves lives, it improves symptoms. Brilliant. So I guess for us in the community, if we've got somebody who seems to be progressing in terms of their heart failure, we push up the diuretics to help their symptoms, we push up the prognosis drugs yeah. to try and help them that way. And if they're still stuck, then we can refer them into yourselves in the clinic. Yes, do an ECG, yep. especially, and if the ECG, any, even if the ECG says narrow QRS complex, they're not more than 140 milliseconds, their optimal treatment do refer these patients to us because we can give a lot of things. The only thing I can suggest to you, people are given excessive diuretics. Mm-hmm. I do. I have rarely used furosemide more than 80 milligrams. Okay. I've hardly used bumetanide more than 2 milligrams. And I okay. see my colleagues in hospital put them on, on 160, 200 of furosemide, 4 milligrams of bumetanide. Do you know what it does? It only upsets the renal function. Yeah. Yeah. If after 80 of furosemide and 2 of bumetanide, are, they're not doing as much as you would like to swap, as we remember we talked about. Yeah. Beyond that, only increasing it's not going to make them better. Mm-hmm. There's something else. That's good to Seek know. help. Yes, lovely. Mm. On that note, actually, when we're thinking about, or when would we think about discussing advanced care planning with these patients? Yeah. Heart failure with anemia, heart failure with renal disease is mm. bad news. Okay. Say to them, listen, I think we now we're talking about palliative care. Mm-hmm. Palliative care is not just about cancer patients. Yes, it's important. about patients with COPD, with heart failure as well. And I stopped the treatment. Yeah. And can I just tell you, 
you stop beta blocker, you stop ACE inhibitors, you reduce diuretics, you stop spironolactone, and go and see them in 48, 72 hours time. They look much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Patients are now who were in bed are now sat smiling, a pink face, mm-hmm. because what you've done is you've taken all these drugs, you've improved their blood pressure, you've improved their heart rate, yes. and they're going to die in much better quality of life. They'll all die in the next 100 days. Yeah. But at least you've given them a dignified and last good few days of life. Yeah. Yeah. So advanced care planning is important. Mm-hmm. One more thing I wanted to add to to is that if you have a patient who's got a good quality of life mm-hmm. and the ejection fraction is less than 35%, mm-hmm. consider defibrillators, ICD. Right. Oh, nice right. recommends ICD in patients with less than 35% mm-hmm. who are in NYHA 234 heart failure. Yeah. Are on maximal treatment and have a good life quality good, good prognosis when i say good prognosis it means they are not multiply comorbid bed bound mm. patients yeah. or dementia etc yeah. so thank you very much for coming and speaking to us we do really appreciate it okay. thank you very Bye-bye. much thank you thank you bye Thank you to consultant cardiologist Dr. Aria. That was a very interesting chat. Yeah, I particularly find um, talking about the investigations and the differentials useful. Mm. Um, things like making sure that we're doing ECGs, BNPs and chest x-rays on these patients and, and to think about other causes like the, the COPD and the obesity. Yeah, um, I didn't realise the role of devices in heart failure either. Um, so I found the whole thing really useful, but that was also quite informative. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, so you can contact us via Twitter. Our handle is PCKB podcast or our email is primarycarepodcasts at gmail.com. Yeah, we'd um, love anyone to get in contact with feedback, um, thoughts about future episodes, um, anything that you want to tell us. Um, And the other way that we've got is to fill in our survey. Um, We're doing that for the first um, good few that we've got out so we can get a little bit more information about what we're doing well, um, what we could be doing differently, um, and if people are are finding this useful. So what we'll do is we'll put the um, link to the survey in the description of the podcast. Um, If you can give us five minutes to fill that in, we'd be really, really grateful. Yes. Next time, we're going to um, be covering other cardiology topics of syncope and palpitations uh, so thank you so much for listening yeah thank you for listening till next time on primary care knowledge boost this podcast is supported by writington wigan and lee ccg the information in the podcast represents the views and opinions of clinicians interviewed listener discretion is advised